coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with Carlton's Lauren Prasali and the Adelaide Crows' Danielle Ponta. Ali Schiller's back with a Sandville Women's Report and Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. Also via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This Sunday afternoon at the Adelaide Oval, it's the AFL Women's Grand Final. And we're speaking to a member of each of the participating teams. We'll have Lauren Brazali coming up from the Carlton Blues and Danielle Ponta, the Darwin-based Adelaide Crow. Also on the way, we have got Ali Schiller. She's got round five of the Sandville Women's to have a look back on. And Coach Kiwi is back to give her AFLW grand final prediction. But first of all, not to the latest AFLW news, but to the latest women's footy news. You'll find out in a moment. Now, we're going to start by not looking at the AFLW Grand Final coming ahead, but what's happening in the women's footy scene around the globe. First of all, the AFL New Zealand's inaugural women's premiership will kick off this Sunday, the 31st of March, at QBE Stadium. That's in Auckland. A 10 a.m. bounce down for the Lions versus the Magpies. It's great to see senior women's football beginning in New Zealand, and there are hopes of a New Zealand senior women's side partaking in the international. National Cup next year in Melbourne. Also, the AFL New Zealand Kahua, that's the youth girls side, uh, will be taking on the Mornington Peninsula Blue Scope Steelers youth girls in a two-match series that's happening the following week. Game one on Saturday the 6th of April at QBE Stadium in Auckland, beginning at 11.45am, and then at the same venue on Monday the 8th of April, beginning at 10am. Let's flip across to Northern Ireland, over the weekend in Belfast at the Bosher Road playing fields saw the annual Leprechaun Cup. Four women's teams took part, including the Uni Shamrocks out of Ireland, uh, the London Swans and the South East London Giants out of the AFL London Women's Competition. And also the Scottish Renegades made up of players from the Greater Glasgow Giants, the Glasgow Sharks, Edinburgh Bloods and West Lothian Eagles. And the Uni Shamrocks of Ireland did a clean sweep. They won all of their three games throughout the round robin and the grand final without conceding a single point. In fact, in the grand final, they beat the Scottish Renegades 8-9-57 to no score. Mary Hurley was named player of the tournament after kicking 11 goals from the four matches. Let's stay on the Irish theme, but look now at the AFLW grand final. And Ailish Considine is free to play in the AFLW grand final after she accepted a reprimand with an early guilt plea for rough conduct after her tackle against uh, Geelong's Danielle Orr, which was deemed as careless with low impact and high contact. Um, Her tackle on uh, Geelong defender Georgia Clark was also looked at, but uh, they concluded that it was not unreasonable in the circumstances. The grand final entertainment has been announced for this Sunday, and it's this artist. Shark 
Clark will be performing at the AFL Women's Grand Final at the Adelaide Oval. She'll also be performing at the W Awards in Melbourne on April 2nd. Other AFLW news, Sabrina Frederick-Traub, there have been rumours that she's going to be leaving the Brisbane Lions. It has been confirmed she is seeking a trade to a Victorian club to be closer to the family of her fiancé in Melbourne. So which club will pick her up? The strong word at the moment is Richmond, but that still is to play out. So the 2019 AFL women's season comes down to this Sunday, the 31st of March. The grand final where the Adelaide Crows play host to Carlton at the Adelaide Oval. Bounce down 12.30pm local time. Good news for Carlton fans who might not be able to get across to Adelaide. You can go to Federation Square in the city where from 1 o'clock Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, the game will be shown live on the big screen. Will the Crows take home their second AFLW Premiership or will Carlton achieve an incredible feat of going from wooden spooners last year to premiers this year. One woman who's looking to help the Blues achieve that is Lauren Brazali. She reached a career-high 22 disposals last week when she helped the Blues in a six-goal victory over Fremantle, and she joins us on the line now. Lauren, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you for having me. Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. And may I ask, how does it feel to know that you're stepping into an AFLW grand final? I'm still pinching myself. It's absolutely, absolutely surreal. It is an amazing feeling just to know where Carlton was last year as the Wooden Spooners to be looking to go into the grand final this weekend. It just could not be prouder of the group and what we've achieved in a year. It's amazing. We'll take a look at Carlton in a moment, including the build-up to the preliminary final and now the build-up to the grand final. But I want to take a step back in time for you personally. If I'm correct, I believe you started playing junior footy a number of years ago with the Eltham Panthers. Yes, I did. I followed in my brother's footsteps and played all my junior football with the boys down at Eltham Junior Football Club. I was the only girl there for my whole career. And then Ashradell came actually in my last season. She was a bit younger than me. And then I didn't play football for nine years. I went across to soccer and was just lucky enough to go to RMIT where they had a huge Diamond Creek um, senior girls team playing in the RMIT uni game. And I played in that team. And then they got me across to Diamond Creek and played in the senior women's team, which was absolutely incredible. It's interesting to hear that you played in your last year at Eltham with Ash Riddell. Were you the link that got Ash Riddell from originally Fitzroy ACU to come to Diamond Creek in 2017? I know. It's absolutely incredible that she she kept up her football. So she was, I think, two age groups below me. So we didn't play in the same team. But then I always knew that when I was leaving Eltham Junior Football Club, there was still one more girl there, and that was her. And then, yes, yeah, she went to Fitzroy, and somehow we got her across the Diamond, which is incredible. And she's just absolutely, unfortunately for her injury, apart from that, she would have had an absolutely stellar season. As you mentioned, you took up soccer for nine years. And, of course, we know probably the most famous soccer player in the AFLW is your captain, being uh, Brianna Davey, who at uh, one stage was a goalkeeper for the Matildas. How did you rate your soccer career? Absolutely nowhere near as good as Breeze. <laughs> I was just, I played soccer like I played football. I was a centre-back and I just used to run at the ball and pretty much kick it as far as I could away from the goals. I was very late into soccer, so I was nowhere near as good as Bree. 
As you mentioned, you took up footy again with RMIT. Of course, the RMIT Redbacks played in university games. We know they're starting up now a women's football academy. And it's an impressive uh, pedigree of footballers there. Of course, uh, you won a um, gold medal at the university games back in uh, 2016 in a dominant performance by RMIT. And I believe uh, a former Diamond Creek player in Stephanie DiPatoli was your teammate that year. Yes, she was my teammate that year at RMIT. We've had a few. There was one year when it was Steph Chochi, Amelia Barden, Shay Audley, myself, all in the same team, RMIT team playing at UD Games. So RMIT has just had an absolute amazing caliber of players come through there that have gone on to play women's AFL. And winning gold medals with them at UD Games was incredible. And playing with Stephanie, not only at RMIT, but then her coming across to Diamond Creek was incredible as well. I'll throw in some other names there for you. Current GWS Giants footballer Christina Bernardi, uh, a former yes. Garden footballer in Laura Attard, and former Western Bulldogs footballer now North Melbourne AFLW assistant coach Lauren Moorcroft. There you go. The list is actually endless. Now, I believe it was around 2014 you played your first ever game at Diamond Creek. Who uh, got on the phone and said, come on down to the Creekers? Lauren Moorcroft for about a year at university. So I played in a game in 2013 and for about a year she was begging me to come down to Diamond Creek and I was like, oh, I've got soccer. Like I've, I play soccer. I don't know if I want to play football. And then I caved in 2014 and I went down and I played a couple of games because then I went overseas for four and a half months and I just absolutely loved it. And then I was hooked. So 2015, I still balance soccer and football. And then in 2016, I quit soccer altogether and just focused on football. And when you originally started, you seemed to dominate, particularly around the half-back and then being thrown into the uh, midfield for the Creekers. It was uh, some good years for the Creekers, 2015 and 2017, with grand final appearances. They were some great years. Unfortunately, just couldn't get over the line in both of those years in the grand final. But they were absolutely incredible just to be able to get to the grand final and have that rivalry with Darabin every time you played them, you knew it was just going to be such a hard game. And I guess being at Diamond Creek, and you can almost say it's a mirror to what's it being at Carlton, you've gone through years where it's been tough at a club before being turned around. I talk about 2016 at Diamond Creek. Of course, there was that huge run of injuries, and for the first time in many years, the Creek has missed out on the finals, only for then Scott Gowans to come along in 2017. It all turned around. He had a great run. Beat Darabin twice, in fact, before finishing runners-up in the grand final. To Again, you can mirror it to Carlton, where Wooden Spoon is last year. New coach comes along and Daniel Harford, and everything turns around. You're back at a grand final again. Uh, it's, when you look at it like that, it's absolutely unbelievable. But I think that just Credit goes to the girls. Diamond Creek, 2016 was probably one of the toughest years the club has ever had. We just had, as you said, injury after injury. A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff happened. But the way that we were able to rally around each other at the beginning of 2017 and to get where we got in that year was incredible. And the same as Carlton. What has happened over the past 12 months, just you couldn't write it. You could not imagine that this... You could dream it, but you couldn't imagine this is what was actually going to happen. The turnaround and just how... The girls have all gotten around each other and supported each other, and the amount of trust that's there, it's just unbelievable. Do you see similarities in what's happened, despite it being a, a VFLW club to an AFLW club, do you see similarities in what's happened behind the scenes about how a group has galvanised to turn a season around? Oh, definitely. You just see the culture and how it's like a family there, and you know that when you go there, regardless of how bad your day has been or 
what's happened, you go there and you're going to be supported. There's people there that care about you. And the leaders that we have there at Carlton are just second to none. Their leadership is just beyond incredible. And to just be able to stick together and keep working to them, improving across the whole entire season, it's just, yeah, like I said, you couldn't write it. Let's take a flashback to October 2016, the first ever AFLW draft. You get called out as the 62nd pick overall, so probably about an hour, hour and a half into the draft. What were the nerves feeling like up until that moment? And did you have any inkling at all Carlton might be a club interested in you? I still get goosebumps when I think about that day. I was sitting with um, I was with Tanya Hetherington, Stephanie DeBordley, Millie Barden. There was a fair few of us um, all together, and we were just so excited for each other. I think we all got called out at 52. Um, the nerves were building up. As it went on, yeah, the nerves were building up. Then I was like trying not to get my hopes up. So I was like, oh, you know, maybe I won't get drafted and that's okay. And then to be called out was just unbelievable. Like instantly the amount of support that I had from like my phone was just going off and everyone around me, it was absolutely incredible that day. And just it just kept building from then. Draft day definitely is probably one of the most exciting days I've ever had in my life. And this could probably be good advice, particularly for the under-18 girls that are coming through the NAB League girls' competition or are hoping to be drafted and eventually do get drafted. How long did it find for you personally for the nerves to settle down? As in, once you've been now picked by the club, you're about to hit your first ever pre-season training. How long did it finally just to take for it to settle to be, okay, this is just like club football, this is normal, I'm now comfortable in the environment? I think after the Christmas break, so everything is really nervous, really hard up until the Christmas break. And then the Christmas break is probably the hardest 10 days because you're away from the club, but you've still got to do all the same workouts at gym and running. So it's almost like you're on holiday, but you've still got a lot of work to do. And when you come back in in January, it's a month until the first round and it's just so much excitement that your nerves kind of leave and you're just more excited and everyone's pushing each other because everyone wants a spot for round one. So it just gets really exciting and there's a good buzz around the club always. What are your memories of game one, round one, 2017, Icon Park, Carlton v Collingwood? Oh, I absolute goosebumps. I remember running out and I was running with Shay Audley and we ran out together and the, like the roar from the Carlton crowd when we ran out was incredible. And then when we were standing doing the national anthem, Shay looked at me and she just said, just take it in. This will never happen again. Just take it in. And thank God she said that to me because I was just, we had a look around. There was an empty seat. People were still piling in. And it was just, it still gives me goosebumps now today. We've got to have a look at the lows before we have a look at the highs. So let's take a view back to, say, about round two last year. It was the game where you beat the GWS Giants, but you lost Bree Davey in that game. She went down for her ACL injury, and I think even Taylor Harris did her shoulder in that game. Was there a sense in round two or three last season that, uh-oh, things are going a bit pear-shaped. Because prior to that, uh, the AFLW captains in a survey had rated that Melbourne and Carlton would play off in a grand final. Yeah, I think, obviously, the talent that we had last year, it's exactly what we have this year. And to lose Bree Davey and Hay in that game, and also our coach was in hospital sick. So going into that game, we were already a little bit like sad because, our coach was in hospital in Melbourne, unable to come. And then to lose Bree 
everyone was just in shock. To be able to play that fourth quarter was incredible. And to come away with the win and hold on like we did was absolutely incredible. But obviously you've lost your captain. You've lost our integral leader. And for the rest of the season, it was obviously a bit somber because we didn't have yeah, our Bree Davis. She's so integral to our team. But for her to support the girls and Sarah Hosking as the vice captain and Lauren Arnell was incredible. Her support off the field, she's just as incredible off there as she is on. So obviously it was a very somber, but <coughs> sorry, still a very enjoyable season and so happy to see her back out there. She's worked so hard to get where she is now and look at her go. It's like she didn't even have a year off. So at the end of the 2018 season, um, Damien keeping a part way with the clubs and a new coach would come in in Daniel Harford. What do you recall of your first uh, one-on-one conversation with the new coach? I had never heard of Daniel Harford. I didn't know who it was. And then I spoke to my dad. And he's like, yeah, he was a great player, great player. I just had a conversation with him. And he's got this sense of he cares. He cares about you, not only as a player, but as a person. He loves his dad jokes. He absolutely loves his own calves. He raves about his own calves as much as he can. He thinks they're huge. And he's just a great person as well as a great coach. But he cares about you as a person more than a player, which is just what what you need. What did he outline in his first vision to you of where he wanted to take the side this year? He said that we're going to do things differently and all you need to do is trust the process. Trust trust, trust. That was the main thing. Trust the process. Just have trust in him, trust in the staff and trust in all of your players. And as the season's gone on, I think that showed that we're all beginning to trust everything. And the process that he had at the start of the year is obviously working. So he knows his staff, Daniel Hartford. We've seen Taylor Harris find some form late in the year. As you mentioned, Bree Davies finally found her old form. I'd even go as far as, say, your Crickers teammate and Katie Lawrence, who in many years gone by had always had an injury along the way. She seems to have hit form also at the right time. Yeah, everyone is just coming together. I suppose as the season goes on, it's such a short season. Like in our VFL, in our VFL seasons, we play 20 games. So round seven, round eight is normally when you see people finding their feet and playing in some of some of the best football they are playing, and especially teams as well. So obviously, an AFL season, every game is almost like a final, and so everyone's really excited and like really wants to put them to their best. And then each week, obviously, you get less nervous about the game because it's not a final, and you can kind of have a bit more composure, be a little bit more calm. So now that it is eight weeks in. Everyone has found their form. Everyone's working together. The team knows how everyone plays and there's trust and just belief that someone's going to be there. If you miss it, someone else is going to be there to help you. So it's great to see all those girls. Wendy's predominantly always been a midfielder and to see her playing in the forward line and the pressure that she puts on those backmen when the ball's in there is absolutely incredible. Her tackles just, I'm so happy she's on my team and I'm not playing against her. Let's talk about heading into preliminary final week. It's up week for the Blues. Obviously, on a personal front for Taylor Harris and uh, the nasty comments that were mentioned on social media, uh, the Blues as a group were essentially written off saying Conference B is weak, going to get slaughtered by Fremantle. Did that galvanise the group? Did that just add some fuel to the fire? Oh, definitely. There's, I don't think there's a better spot than being the underdog. Being the underdog is probably one of the best spots to be in because... They'd already written us off. Everyone had written us off 
throughout the whole season pretty much. So to come out and just show them we deserve to be here and we actually are a good team. And for Taylor to bounce back like she did, I could not be, or everyone in the club could not be prouder of her. She had probably one of the toughest weeks. That is no 21-year-old should have to go through that at all. And for her to come out and take the mask that she was taking, attack the ball, her pressure, that tackle on Kiara Bowers, and to kick the first goal, she deserves absolutely everything. So to come out the way that we did after that week, especially Tay, was just absolutely incredible. For you personally, 22 disposals on the day in the preliminary final. It was a career-best high for you. Is there a moment in the game where you, you almost think to yourself along the lines of you're on or the, you're just seeing the ball a lot more easily? You're just seeing the paths open up for you a lot more easily? Yeah, I think it was just that I didn't realise until after the game. Um, I was like, oh, I have, like, I thought after the game, like, yeah, I got the ball a bit. Like, I had a, got a bad game. Like, that was good. Like, I felt like I was always pushing to get to the contest or in the right position, holding my space to be able to be the handball receive. And then after the game, when I found out, I was like, oh, wow, like, I actually did play pretty good. I think it was just, it's a preliminary final. We had nothing to lose. You've got to put everything on the line to get across. And I just had that mentality in my head that I don't want to lose another final. I've been in all losing finals with Diamond Creek, and I was like, I don't want to lose another final. Like, we're going to win this. And I think at halftime, even at halftime, we walked in and I was like, Last week, we were up by this much, and they kicked five goals in the fourth quarter. Like, it's not over. It wasn't until one minute was left in the game, and I was like, okay, they can't kick four goals in a minute. Like, we've won this now. We're going to the grand final. And it was just absolutely elating to just be like, wow. It was incredible. You've won the preliminary final. There's obviously euphoria as you come off into the rooms. Everyone's buzzing. It's grand final time. What did... Daniel try to say to the group to obviously keep everyone focused. I mean, obviously celebrate, but focused of there's still a job at hand. There's one more to go. He just said absolutely great job, but exactly. There's one more to go. He's like, it's business now. Enjoy it for tonight. Celebrate. But there's one more to go. We've got our job's not done yet. There's one more game to go. And he's right. There is this week is the same as any other week. It is grand final week and it's exciting and there's a great buzz around the club, but the exact same as any other week. Nothing changes. And how do you prefer to, to handle grand final week? For some players, it's a case of, okay, it's just another game. I treat everything exactly the same. Or do you prefer it the other way of, well, no, this is different. This is it. This is everything's on the line. I have to treat things differently. This is the game we all build up for. I think I like a balance between both. I like to take in the excitement and everyone around. Like, I'm a teacher, so I've got a, a lot of very excited kids at the moment and a lot of excited staff. So I'm like enjoying that of everyone being like, oh, congratulations to the grand final. And then, but I also like the balance of it's just the same as any other week. So finding that perfect balance is what I like. Because if I'm too much on one end or too much on the other end, I think I'll just get too nervous and freak myself out. But it is such an exciting week. But as Daniel said, it's the same as any other week. We'll talk about the game against the Crows in just one moment. But you did mention, of course, you're a teacher. How are you balancing full-time work as a teacher at the moment along with your training commitments and playing AFLW? Um, my school's been absolutely incredible. They understand so much when I've got a football commitment so I'm unable to go into work. And 
luckily enough, they gave me Fridays off for this term. So I'm able to have that one day away from both football and work where I can kind of just relax and get just have some me time for a little bit. Um, it's been, it hasn't been hard to balance, but I think as the season's gone on, I've found it a lot easier, the routine and balancing it. It just sort of, I think, just comes naturally once you've been in it for a couple of weeks. So we focus on the game against the Adelaide Crows. You would have sat there either by yourself or as a group watching that game that they did against the Geelong Cats, and it was vicious. Geelong didn't score until the final quarter. What's going through your mind, going through the group's mind as you're watching this, knowing that, okay, we're in red-hot form, but Adelaide's also in very red-hot form? Oh, Adelaide is an absolutely terrific team. There's no question about it. They've been, this is their second grand final in three years. Like, that is absolutely incredible for a team to come in. In their first year, they were the complete underdogs. No one rated them, and they came out and won it. There's no doubt they're an incredible team. And... We know we've got a hard job this weekend, but if we can just focus on playing our game and similar to what we did with Fremantle, just making sure they earn the ball. They're not just going to get it easily. They've got to earn the ball this week. Then I have absolutely no doubt that we can absolutely bring it to Adelaide. Is the message going around the group that everyone has to lift? Because if anything, if people look at the Adelaide side, particularly their forward line, they're so mobile and versatile that if one soldier goes down, they've got plenty to step up. Oh, it's a grand final. Everyone knows you've got a list anyway for a grand final. It's the last game. You've got to put absolutely everything you have left out on that ground. And our backs have just, the way they've gelled over the past couple of weeks, absolutely incredible. No, I have all full faith in them that they're going to be able to stop the Adelaide forwards. Now, for yourself personally heading into the grand final, is there any superstitions that you hold? Is it you've got to put on one boot before you put on the other boot? Is it, okay, you've got to wear a certain scrunchie in the hair, whatever it might be? Do you have a superstition? No, I don't have a superstition at all. I was always against having a superstition because if you were unable to, like if my superstition was to have a coffee at home in the morning for a game, when I'm travelling interstate, I wouldn't be able to do it. So then I would be like, well, now I'm not going to have a good game before I even got there. So as long as I get smashed avocado for breakfast and have a coffee anywhere, that's all I need before a game. Well, that's part of the regular routine. You can almost call that a superstition. Um, <laughs> the game obviously being played over in Adelaide at the very famous Adelaide Oval. You're going to be up against a parochial Adelaide crowd, so uh, you're going into the Thunderdome, so to speak. Uh, when it comes to support for you, have you got any family or friends uh, flying over for the big occasion? Yes, my whole family's booked to fly over. So my two brothers, and then their friends, my parents, and then a couple of my friends have booked flights to fly over as well. So I've still got support there, and a lot of the other girls' families have flown over as well. So. I've no doubt the Blue Army are going to be out and about as well. So it's going to be an incredible atmosphere regardless. And, Lauren, one last question before we let you go. Like we ask everyone on the program that plays in the AFL women's competition, what does it mean to you personally when people say the title, Lauren Brazali, AFLW footballer? I still pinch myself because I still i am just – it's absolutely incredible and I think – being a teacher, seeing the kind of difference that you can make on one little girl who didn't know that you could play football, that you could even play sport, it just means the absolute world. Just to go up to them and be like, you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to play sport, go and do it. 
And then just getting that into their head from a young age and being able to change that is just incredible. It means absolute world. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Blues all the very best when you take on the Crows this Sunday in the AFLW Grand Final. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And go Blues. Well, what kind of form are the Adelaide Crows are in coming into the AFL Women's Grand Final this Sunday at the Adelaide Oval? They crushed Geelong last week in the preliminary final by 11 goals. It's crazy when you think about it that back to round one, they only scored one goal in their only loss for the year, that being to the Western Bulldogs. Since then, they have just torn through the competition. One woman that's in red-hot form, kicking three goals last week, is Danielle Ponta, and she joins us on the line now. Danielle, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad at all. As we speak to you, we're literally counting down the days to the AFLW Grand Finals. So just straight up, how are you feeling at the moment? How are the nerves heading into this massive game? I'm not too nervous just yet, but I know that on the day um, it'll pick up quite a bit. Uh, Obviously, yeah, it's a big game. So I know the the nerves will definitely pick up um, coming closer to the game. We'll speak about your time at the Crows in just a moment, but I want to flash back. Uh, first of all, I believe you actually started playing footy at just the age of 11, but playing in the under-16s with St Mary's. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of the only um, only thing I could do. Um, but yeah, started as an 11-year-old in under-16 competition. So you're coming up um, against a lot of uh, bigger girls, but I was able and lucky enough to... Um, actually run away with the with the um, BNF um, that for that round for overall under 16. So I guess I did a pretty good job. <laughs> How intimidating is that, particularly at such a young age? But when you think about boys football, 11 years old, you're coming up against 12 or 13 year olds because they have many more divisions. How is that coming up against uh, women who are at that stage 16 years old and almost starting to mature into their body, uh, and, and essentially you're a tiny 11 year old. <laughs> Yeah, it was quite um, intimidating, like I said, uh, much bigger bodies, but I think we were all kind of new to it, um, and it wasn't, it was just, I just was there to play football, really, and that was nothing else, so, um, yeah, they were much bigger, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was just there to play footy, and that was all I was worried about, really. Not too bad at all for the next few years playing in the under-16s. If I'm correct, you actually won the Sharon Smith medal, which is the under-16s best and fairest, in four consecutive seasons. Yeah, I did. Uh, Yeah, so like I said, I was lucky enough to run away with that medal when I was 11 years old. And I guess I kind of held on to it for an extra three more years. So, uh, yeah, that was really good of me. But at the time, I I didn't even know what that medal was. And... Half of the time, I didn't even get to the presentation to um, accept that award because I just wasn't aware of it. But, yeah, it was a massive achievement at such a young age, and um, I'm really proud of it. But, um, yeah. If we go back to when you were 13, about 13, 14, uh, you actually made the under-18s championships uh, playing with the Thunder Devils, which are a combination of uh, the NT Thunder and the Tasmanian side. Um, And then you'd compete, I believe, the next three championships after that, including with the Central Allies uh, in 2017 and 18. Can you explain what it's been like to be 
in that system for so long in what you'd almost call elite football with that under-18s nationals? Um, yeah, so when I was 14, I was lucky enough to go away with our under-18 side um, and a bunch of other NT girls and was lucky enough to get picked in the All-Australian that team and then to carry on um, years after that and go into um, Central Allies and Allies and all that stuff to have those, you know, access to that, um, like you said, elite environment was, um, it was very good for me as a footballer. Like I learned a lot from being in those um, programs um, and I think that's probably what benefited me the most um, coming into like uh, the AFLW and the BFLW seasons. Can you explain, particularly with the Thunder Devils and then the Central Allies, what do they try and do to try and uh, bond the side together? Because unlike other states where they could be in training camps for a couple of months before they take part in the Nationals, because you've got others from all around Australia and essentially you're joining together one or two days out before you start playing in the tournament, what do they try and do to try and, I guess, gel everyone and everyone to get to know everyone so uh, obviously you feel like a team unit? Um, yeah, it was, it was really hard, but um, we just kind of would meet on the day and everyone would introduce themselves and then they would kind of have some team bonding skills where they would mix a lot of us girls up with the other girls and um, yeah, just kind of get that, um, oh, I don't know how you say it, but just kind of, like so everyone kind of got around and knew each other a bit and then it was kind of the same group for the couple of, like the same years, for a couple of years after that, so we all kind of from that first year knew each other by like coming into the other year. So that was, it was really good to have those couple of girls. And then like when new girls came in, um, you know, we'd kind of go through that same routine with them and, you know, just made them feel comfortable. So that was good. Now, at the age of 17, you came down to Melbourne to play with the Essendon VFL side. Um, what led to that decision to want to come down to Victoria, leaving Darwin to try and take on footy down here? Um, yeah, it was a tough decision because I knew that um, Thunder were obviously getting their, their side in for the VFL. That was their first season for them. But um, my cousin Michaela had reached out to me and said, you know, like, here's an opportunity um, at the Bombers if you if you want to take it. So um, I didn't really, you know, wasn't really doing much up and down. So I thought, oh, you know, why not go down there and learn um, a few things, in which I did. They had a really good group of girls and a really good group of um, coaching staff. So I learned quite a lot down there, not only on the field, but um, off as well. So that was good for myself. How was it coming into the draft, uh, wondering if you'd be picked, particularly because you'd chosen South Australia in the draft. Um, you hadn't played in that state yet, but obviously they've got the partnership with NT. You'd been playing in Victoria. Essendon had had a tough year. They'd had finished at the bottom of the ladder. What were the hopes at that stage that you would be picked up? Uh, yeah, it was quite tough. I was quite unsure whether I was going to get picked up or not. I had a, I had a brief chat with um, our coach, uh, Matty Clark, and um, I also had a brief chat with a couple of the other clubs, but um, they seemed um, more interested in me, so that's why I'd, I'd chosen to nominate them, as well as getting the opportunity to stay in my hometown um, of Darwin instead of uh, moving interstate again. Um, so yeah, that was probably one of the other big reasons why. But yeah, coming into the seat, coming into the draft, um, yeah, it was quite unsure. But having that brief chat with Maddie Clark before it and um, you know, kind of help 
boost my confidence a bit. And yeah, um, yeah. Just quickly, prior to that draft, you actually also took part in the 2018 AFLW Draft Combine, so you had that to obviously go on top of the form that you'd shown playing for Essendon. Uh, personally, how did you feel you went in that Draft Combine? Because you're also coming up against uh, the best under-18 talent from around Australia. Yeah, it was good to be a part of it, but um, at that time I was actually um, speaking to the physios and they, they didn't want me to participate in that at all because they thought I had um, a stress fracture in my back. So I had to sit back and um, watch the other girls participate in it, which was hard because, um, you know, I flew down there for one reason and that was to, like, be a part of that and you know, display my life skills and that type of stuff. So it was hard to not be a part of it, but um, it was good to watch and, um, to see the girls, you know, that did really well um, get picked up really early in the draft. So after attending the draft and sitting back and watching everything, you obviously have that nervous weight. What was the feeling like when they finally called out your name and that you'd be representing the Adelaide Crows? Um, it was really good. I had um, my whole family around me. and Just going back to that moment, I... I remember just crying instantly because it was, it was such an emo- like an emotional time for me because I just like thought about all the hard work that I put in before it and um, yeah to finally get my name called out um, yeah it was something special really. So you've been selected with the Adelaide Crows. You're based in Darwin, and unlike others who would have the traditional preseason, you actually played through the preseason. Do you think that assisted you having that summer of football in the NTFL leading into the AFLW season? Yeah, definitely. Like um, throughout preseason, you know, I did all the work, and then uh, they kind of rewarded me for my hard work, to, like getting some match fitness and play some games up at Darwin for my local team, so that was good, and I think that um, that definitely helped me coming into the season with my match fitness in particular. But um, yeah, just the hard work through the preseason is just—it was just an, a reward for that, I guess. So, what was it like heading into round two of the AFLW? Because at this stage, you had to sit out round one; you weren't selected to play, and then the phone call comes from Matthew Clark to say. You're in, you're playing round two against Carlton at Princess Park. Yeah, it was it was quite um, an emotional time, but I was at work, so I couldn't get too upset. Um, but yeah, it was good emotions, happy emotions. I was very happy and um, very excited going into the week. Um, I think I was a bit nervous, uh, more than I am now, actually playing my first round, then I, then I will be probably playing the grand final, but... Um, yeah, very exciting times when he when he did make that call. Do you see the irony that your debut was against Carlton and possibly the biggest game of your football career is a grand final just a few weeks later against Carlton? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Um, uh, uh, I don't really know how to answer that, but um, <laughs> sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, just flashing back to the first couple of rounds that you played, um, normally you'd actually played in the forward line, particularly throughout your junior career, but you actually were started in defence. How did you adjust to that? Uh, yeah, it was, it was something new. That was a challenge for me that Doc had set for me, and 
he kind of just said, you know, with the skill set you have and um, my kicking in particular, that they, they thought they um, could find that very useful in the back line. So I thought um, that was a big challenge for me. It was something new and I was, you know, very keen on it. Um, not only playing defence, but to be out there on the field, I didn't really care regardless of where I was on the field, as long as I was out there. Um, but then, yeah, making the move back to the forward line, I felt, you know, much more comfortable. I grew up um, playing those positions. So I was, I think I probably played my best, my better footy in the forward line. But, um, yeah. Well, you're right about playing better footy in the forward line because I'll pick out <laughs> two games. Um, in round four, you actually moved back to the forward line in your home game, really, being played in Darwin against the Fremantle Dockers. You kicked two goals and then you were awarded a, a nomination for the AFL Women's Rising Star. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was very exciting um, just to be able to play that game and then also to be able to you know, played in front of your friends and family, which was uh, very special to me. Um, and then kicking those two goals, you know, you can hear your family cheering over over the fence, which is um, something special for me just to hear them um, happy and, you know, um, just to kick those two goals for myself was um, very good. But um, to get that nomination, I wasn't really expecting it. And then when, when Noffy had rang me up and, and told me that I did win it, um, they had just, I was very happy, but yeah, like I said, didn't expect it at all. You just said then playing in front of uh, friends and family because obviously you'd had such a long junior career at St Mary's. Uh, how many from your old club actually showed up to cheer you on at uh, Darwin's TIO Stadium? Oh, um, I know my whole women's team showed up, um, and I'm confident that you know most of the the other players or the supporting staff or the coaches would have come along to the game as well. So let's talk about the preliminary final. I think everyone was stunned. Um, everyone was tipping the Crows as the favourites, but to do it in such a fashion by about 11 goals over the Cats. For yourself, personally, uh, three goals. You must have felt like you're floating on air at Adelaide Oval. Uh, uh, yeah, personally, to kick three goals, it was, um, it was good by me, but I think we had a really um, strong performance across the board. I don't think... Like, couldn't fault anyone. I think everyone kind of stood up and played their role and um, worked hard. And I guess particularly in the forward line, when you work hard, um, you get rewarded with goals. And I think that's why, you know, not only myself kicking three, but we had, um, what, six other goal kickers that come away with a goal or so. So, um, yeah, I guess it's just a reward of our hard work. And um, it was a good day for not only our skills, but for the Adelaide Football Club as well. Do you think that's the thing that's made Adelaide more dangerous than previous years? Uh, if we look to the first uh, premiership, uh, Sarah Perkins was the focal point up forward and riding gunshot was Erin Phillips. It's changed a lot this year. Yourself on the forward line, Chloe Shear, you can mention Anne Hatchard, you can throw in Erin Phillips and numerous others. Does that, in your opinion, make it hard for oppositions to defend against you because they don't really know who to send their best defenders to because they don't know who's going to pop up? Yeah, I, I think uh, that's a good point. I think I've thought of it that way. But, yeah, we have a lot of um, um, strong forward line um, girls in there in the mix. So um, I'm really confident and comfortable with those girls. I know that they'll, they'll get the job done, each and every one of them. Um, but yeah, like you said, 
you know, got a lot of strong performers in there individually that, that bring something to the to our game to themselves. So we're a very interesting forward line, but um, yeah, definitely getting it done. Now, as you mentioned, uh, you obviously are based in Darwin. The Crows have a unique setup, uh, now only matched by North Melbourne, where part of the group trains in Darwin, the other or main section trains in Adelaide. Can you give us an idea to who leads the Darwin group and uh, how do you communicate during the week with the Adelaide group to obviously agree on game plan and what you're training with, etc.? For me in particular, I just train in Darwin on the Tuesdays and then I'll catch up with everyone on the Thursday night when I do fly down the Thursday morning. So um, Eliza and the guys at Thunder up here um, take those trainings on a Tuesday night. Um, and we do have a train on squad of girls which join me and Jazzy that are up here. Jazzy Hewitt is our Darwin girl. So um, that's really nice of them. And then I do fly down on the Thursdays and I'm able to catch up on you know, the structures and all that leading into the game on the weekend. And uh, looking ahead, just post AFLW, just quickly um, for the VFLW season, are you looking to either A, come back to Melbourne, or B, are you looking to stay up in Darwin and, and possibly play with the NT Thunder throughout the uh, quote-unquote AFLW off-season? Uh, I think at the moment my thoughts are probably just to stay home with Thunder. Um, but I guess if I, if I get an opportunity to play down in, in Vic, um, I might possibly take that chance, but I think at the moment my heart's kind of here in Darwin and I want to stay in Darwin because uh, I haven't really got an offer from down south just yet. But, um, yeah, if I do get an offer, I might um, consider it, but, yeah, thinking of just Darwin at the moment. You're coming up against Carlton at the Adelaide Oval. It's going to be a big occasion. We're predicting there'll be something like 20-plus thousand fans there for this AFLW Grand Final. Um, in your humble opinion, who do you think's Carlton's biggest threat that uh, the Crows have got to try and put a stop to to make sure that you're in control and you're taking home the cup? Um, I think the, the um, connection between Matty Pasparkas in the midfield and Taylor Harris up forward is is very dangerous. I've, I've watched um, past games where those two have, you know, kind of connected pretty well and um, coming down into the forward line. So I think that's probably our main threat that we probably have to focus on. I think they have some really strong, um, very strong players and quality players in their team, but so do we. So I think we can match them in that space um, and hopefully get on top. And you mentioned the name Press Parkers. That's a player you would have gone head-to-head with in, in numerous battles over the years at the National Championships. You're almost almost sick of seeing it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we went through Nationals together. Well, not together, but she obviously played for the big team and for Darwin. So, um, yeah, uh, and then we went to... We went the National Academy together as well and then obviously went to the Draft Combine together. So, uh, we've been around each other a lot lately. Uh, in the past few years, so um, yeah, I'm pretty confident that you know she's um, a great player and um, she's she's done really good things this, this season, and I'm proud of her. But um, on game day, yeah, that friendship's out the window really, and it's just game one. Uh, leading into the grand final, what has the approach been from both uh, Doc Clark as the coach and the leadership group, including Erin Phillips and Chelsea Randall? Have they been talking about it as 
it's just another game, treat everything the same? Or are they looking at it a different way, saying, no, this is a grand final. It'll be one of the biggest games of your career. The intensity is going to be up. You've got to treat it a little differently. Um, no, I think it's, you know, just um, it's just another game and um, prep, the preparation for it, like your Doc just wanted it to be the same. He didn't want us girls to do anything more than we usually do or do anything less. He just wanted to keep the same um, and just keep that, you know, um, mentality that it is just another game and not to get too worked up about it um, or to think about it too much before um, Sunday. For yourself personally, do you have friends and family coming down from Darwin to witness you on the big stage? Uh, yeah, my mum my and my dad and my couple of my sisters are flying down. I, my mum rang me this morning and told me that my uncle uh, Michael Long was flying down to come and watch. Um, I do have a couple of aunties, yeah, so um, a pretty big support system there um, to come and watch me, which is good. And finally, before we let you go, Danielle, just one last question like we ask everyone who plays AFLW that we have on the program. What does it mean to you personally when people say the title, Danielle Ponta, AFLW footballer? Uh, yeah, it, it means a lot. Um, I think it, I don't, I was having this chat actually last night and, you know, how I see myself and how, um, others may see me and I think, you know, I just see myself as, you know, a young girl from Darwin just, you know, living out a dream and playing footy and doing what I enjoy the most. And then there's um, other people that see me, you know, as uh, AFLW footballer, you know, for a Crows footballer, all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's something special to me because it's um, just to have that title, um is just a, how to say, it's just a, like recognition of all the hard work that, you know, that I did put into um, to get me where I am. So, you know, I'm proud that, you know, people, or well, I can say that I'm an AFLW, like footballer for the Adelaide Crows. And that's, yeah, that's it. I'm probably just proud, yeah. Well, Danielle, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we wish you all the very best this Sunday when you wear the Crows colours, taking on the Blues for the AFLW Premiership. Thanks, mate. Time to have a look back at round five of the Sanford Women's Competition and joining us on the line from the Two Crows podcast, it's Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? I could not be better if I tried, Peter. Well, actually, ask me next week and hopefully I'll be even that little bit more better if that's better English yeah anyway I'm awesome well let's have a look at the Sanford women's competition because that's why we've got you on the line we had round five over the weekend and there was not a single goal kicked in the game between Sturt Mm. and Glenelg five behinds to three behinds yeah well Peter I wondered whether Glenelg would bounce back or would the Double Blues continue their good final quarter form against Centrals last week? And the answer to both those questions is no. Although Sturt finally secured their first win of the season, it was a wayward day with no goals scored by either team and not much to note. Disposals to Sturt, but we had Hoyle on 20, Rigtron on 17, Bevan and Shencher on 16, Paganel, Packer 20, Armitage, Bellinger and Gould on 18. The positive for both sides out of this game were the fact that Sturt got their first win, 
Glenelg have also managed to stay third on the ladder despite losing their last two games. And Georgia Bevan from Sturt's actually moved to the top of the SANFLW leaderboard in clearances. But that is all she wrote. In the next game that was played at Cooper Stadium, Norwood 9-10-64 handed out a shellacking to West Adelaide, just the one behind. Yes. Yes, and that one behind might have been a sore behind, I think, by the end of that game. I mean, Norwood at home is always going to be a tough ask, and the red legs accuracy in front of goal of late has been a bit shaky, but wow. Uh, the red legs dominated every set on the ground, including one that mattered most. They also boosted their um, percentage to just under 74%, which is quite impressive. This could have been even more, again, wayward kicking. Norwood had winners all over the ground with 38 inside 50s. Alison Farrell kicked, her, kicked the first goal and finished with a game-high three. Najwa Allen was, again, a BOG. The positive for the Bloods was the continued form of Madison Newman and Lauren Rodato. Disposal for Norwood, Allen on 33, Hollick on 24, Priest 21, Dunn 20 and Armistead 17. For West, Newman 22, Rodato 17, Biddle and Owen on 13. Goals for Norwood, we had for all on three. And singles each to Armistead, Dunn, Hill, Hollett, Xander and Zarella. Went from A to Z there pretty quickly. Redlegs are running like a well-oiled machine and sit on top of the ladder and are one game, one game clear with great percentage. They are the team to beat. Najwa Allen um, leading the SANFL ladder with disposals on 119. Hollick is from Norwood as well, marks on 31. Leah Cutting up in Ruck with um, 88 hitouts, also on the leaderboard, but also even more importantly, leading the tackles for the league with 39. West have managed to hold on to fourth spot on the ladder, and that's all I can give you for them. The third game as part of the triple header at Cooper Stadium saw Central District 3-5-23 go down to North Adelaide 6-5-41. Yeah, so I wondered if North Adelaide would look for a little bit of revenge and Roosters' revenge it was. With a win that sees them only one win out of the top four, but with a higher percentage. The Roosters led at every change with Kelly Baltrop a star kicking the four majors and taking her to the top of the goal-kicking leaderboard. Just said, you know, for Central's played strongly and finished with 17 disposals, but in a potentially sad twist on the new on the eve of the Crows' AFLW Grand Final appearance, she had her foot stepped on with only a couple minutes left to play. Now, bearing in mind she's only just returned from a Liz Frank injury, so we're all waiting for an update and keeping our fingers crossed. Although I believe at this stage it's not looking good. Disposals for North: Wamberto 22, Alstriger 16. Lug 15, Davies, Ward and Greet on 14. Centrals, Stewart and Sigenary on 17, Butler on 12. Goals, uh, Baltrop 4. For North, Castle and Vomberto 1 each. And the two Centrals goals kicked there by Sigenary and Rosenswein. North sits 5th and the ladder, Bulldogs 6th. And again, they are the team with only percentage separating them. And in the standalone game at Flinders University Stadium, the reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers, 9-12-66, defeated Woodville West Torrens, two straight 12. Yeah, they brought out the whacking stick there, and it was a big percentage booster. Even though South were a little slow out of the blocks, the Eagles actually led at quarter time, believe it or not. But like last week, once the Panther train left the station, it was full steam ahead. Tia Charlton continued her ripping form, and she's my pick for the Powerade breakthrough player and would have recruiters salivating. Crows get her with 24 disposals and three goals. She marked solidly and also sold a bit of candy in a great game. 
Contested marking has been fantastic by South with McKinnon and Tahu looking very impressive. I also like some of the work done by Jess Kerr because she's very hard at it. A great team result. Disposals for South, Charlton on 24, Campbell and Manyat on 20, Kaboras 18, Johnson 15 and Kirk 14. For the Eagles, the Cedric at 16, Lee and Ma on 15, Usher and Walker on 14, Asaria on 13. Goals for South, Charlton 3, Bennett 2, Campbell, Goading, Tahu and Walker Murphy each with a goal. For the Eagles, the singles there each to Lee and Sampson. South now actually we've got some movement finally here on the ladder. They move up into second spot while the Eagles stay eight. Kavoris from South is still dominating. Hamble's on the leaderboard with 63 and her closest arrival there is on 39. So looking ahead to round six, we've got three games on the Saturday and one on the Sunday. First of all, Saturday, 30th of March, 10.40am, kicking the jaw off the grass at Peter Motley Oval. It's the Norwood Redbergs up against the Glenelg Tigers. Yes, in the first of the doubleheader there, Peter. I believe only way will kick it. Kicking will stop Norwood from winning as the Tigers have to do some soul-searching after they burst out of the blocks early in the season. Simple equation here. Norwood will keep top spot. At Peter Motley Oval at 12.25pm, the home team, the Sturt Double Blues, host the West Adelaide Bloods. Yes, now hopefully both of these teams find their kicking boots and make up for last week's point fest. I have hopes for Westies here, but again, I wouldn't be too sad if Sturt caused an upset and got across the line. But Westies for me, Peter. At Flinders University Stadium on Saturday at 4.15pm, the reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers, play host to the Central District Bulldogs. Yeah, so now with South at home and playing great team football and a potential loss of Sydney for Centrals, things could get very ugly for the Bulldogs if they can't find their way around the Panthers. This is probably my lock of the round, uh, South Adelaide for me, and they could get a little bit of a percentage booster. Then on Sunday, 31st of March, 4.15pm at Morgenthyme Kia Oval, Woodville West Torrens plays host to the North Adelaide Roosters. Yes. Now, this game actually might have been a bit low on spectators as it starts just after the AFLW Grand Final finishes, depending on the condition of the people in the crowd. Me, one of them. Uh, can the Eagles, who have started off games well, stop the Roosters from pecking on their carcass? Sadly, probably not, as the Roosters are hungry to get in that top four spot. I predict Roosters to be crowing at the end of this one, and I think I've got just about a mouth crow references in for my segment. Go Crows. <laughs> it does make an interesting uh, question of uh, why is this game Woodville and North Adelaide stand alone when perhaps, perhaps it could have been either a curtain raiser or a post-match game at uh, Adelaide Oval since obviously a lot of women's football supporters would be there with something left to ponder. Nonetheless, Ali, we look forward yeah. to catching up with you next week when we review round six of the Sandville women's competition. Excellent. Hopefully I'm in a fantastic mood when I speak to you next week, Peter. Good luck to everybody. And as always, we end with everyone's favourite segment. We're joined by the legend of the Sydney women's football competition. She played in excess of 250 matches. She's in Victoria playing in the AFL Masters Victoria women's competition. She's also on the coaching panel with the Eastern Rangers in the NAB League girls competition. We speak of Lisa Kiwi Roper with Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. Kiwi, how are you? I'm very, very good. Thank you.
going better than any um, probably cat supporter this week, I'm afraid. Oh, dear, oh, me. Let's have a look at what happened in the AFL women's preliminary finals that were played over the weekend. We start by looking at Princess Park, where Carlton, the leaders of Conference B, knocked off the team in Conference A, 9-10-64 to 4-4-28. Coming into this game, everyone was talking up how the Dockers were going to smash the Blues. It went the other way around. Yeah, now I think I'm pretty sure I said that this was going to be a close game. And I thought, you know, Carlton might have something to take it to Frio. I didn't expect Carlton to win, and especially not by the margins. You know, they played some very, very good football. They played as a, a real team unit all over the park. So we had good numbers around the contest. Um, you know, their, their tools, I think they used their tools very, very well with, um, you know, some good long balls in. And um, it just looked for me that Frio couldn't get into their rhythm. As much as they tried, they just could not get any rhythm of the day. And they were dropping marks, they were missing shots at goal, the bounce was going the wrong way. It was just not at all like how they played all season. And um, I think they'd lost Juddy not not long before the game, so that probably threw them off a little bit. But, um, yeah, it just, just really wasn't their day. Well, if you look at the number of injuries going into and coming out of the game, the first critical injury was in the final round, uh, Alex Williams had done her ACL, and she'd been a key defender. So at the start of the game, they had to move Antonio, who'd been great in the forward line this year, move her to defence. As you said, Allen pulled out before the bounce. Uh, during the game, I think they also lost uh, Hayley Miller to a hamstring injury. Um, Dana Hooker ended up having an injection in her sternum to manage to get her up for the game because she was in pain. Um, according to Trent Cooper, they were actually the walking wounded coming into this match. Yeah, they were really, really behind the eight ball. And I think that probably contributed to they just couldn't start well. They just looked a little bit fragile when they started and just, um, you know, things didn't really get on the up after that. We saw Carlton with a great polished performance. Lauren Brazali, who we spoke to earlier, a career-high 22 disposals. Great game for her. And the marking of Taylor Harris, it makes one ponder. Of course, Taylor was coming into the week, as we know, after those nasty comments uh, directed uh, at her photo on uh, social media. Um, you, you kind of wonder, in a way, indirectly, that some players sometimes lift in adversity, when they're directly or indirectly attacked, that all of a sudden that's kind of like a trigger point or fuel to the fire. And like Taylor did, the best answer possible out in the football field. Yeah, exactly. I um, saw an interview of her or with her earlier in the week and she said because of the support and, you know, how then the community has sort of come together over that, over that photo, she had felt empowered. And I think she did carry that onto the field. And, and her marking, she's always got a fantastic mark. And um, she was just inserted herself all over. But not only that, she kicked straight. You know, one of her shots is probably from an area that she's missed quite often um, in close. But she nailed the goal. It was an important goal to sort of keep them rolling forward. But she just, I thought, played a really good quality game um, for her for the Blues. Um, not only that, like there was... I just thought a lot of people contributed for the Blues. They didn't rely on young Maddie. Uh, at one point, I said, where is Maddie? Is she playing? I kind of looked around because she hadn't been too involved, whereas other games, it's almost like they lean on her a little bit to you know, win that ball through the midfield and get it going. 
Um, and at this point, she had been rotated off, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't relied on as much. I just think they had a lot more contributors to winning that ball and um, and taking it on forward and getting good space and creating really good opportunities. So um, I thought, yeah, they had a very polished team um, display out there. I also wonder how much um, Nicole Graves had influenced that because she's done a lot of work in WA over the years. So for most of those WA players, she probably knows how they play very, very well. So, you know, perhaps she could have helped out with some tactics behind the play a little bit. Very, very good observation there. And no doubt after that game, a lot of people would have seen that big Carlton victory going, oh, you know, maybe Carlton can upset the apple cart one more time in the grand final. And then perhaps a reality check for everyone on Sunday (laughs) when the Adelaide Crows just went bang, 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 11-7-73 to 1-1-7 for the Cats. I turned on the TV, I admit, uh, halfway through the third quarter. I'd just finished working an overnight shift and uh, after I had a nice little snooze, woke up and I thought, oh, what's the game looking like? I squinted at the TV and I thought I saw the score at something like, oh, yeah, 42 to 8, something like that. And then to my shock of, oh, no, it's about seven goals to zero. Geelong didn't score until the final quarter. Yeah, I'm with you. We had um, we were out at Eastern Rangers playing a match for um, the NAB League. So I tuned in at half time, and I had to look twice. I couldn't believe that Geelong had zero on the board at half time. Um, and we, you know, we always said that they were going to probably um, struggle to get goals, and especially against a very polished defence line that the Crows put out. But um, yeah, to go that much in the game without even one point is um, it was a little bit alarming for um, the Geelong team. It looked like they were solid through the back line, even though you know they got pelted on the scoreboard. But they just didn't have anything really going forward, and you know a couple of forwards just blazed away shots when they probably should have taken a bit more time and and you know loaded up a little bit straighter. But um, you know can't take anything away from the Crows. They were just dominant, dominant throughout and all over the park. Phillips, Marinoff, uh, throwing Danielle Ponta, been having a great season. Of course, she played Essendon VFLW last year. They've just got winners all around the ground. And I think someone has said, and it's, it's probably unlucky for Sarah Perkins more than anything, but ever since they've taken Sarah Perkins um, out of the forward line, she's been admitted and she's been playing in the Sandfield W, they've changed the shape of their forward line. And essentially they're rotating around whoever the key target is. When you look at Hatchup, when you look at Chloe Shear, etc., And uh, they've just got plenty of options to go for. They don't have... Uh, which they did in the past, say, in their 2017 Premiership, Perkins the key target with the offsider being Phillips. Because you don't know which of their front five or six is going to be the key focus, it is very hard to defend against. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think um, they're not playing a particular tall target. They've just got a whole heap in there that can get up. And you know, Stevie Lee's banged in a lot of goals and probably only mm. the last half of the season has come on, on the radar for some of the defence. But, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't really know which ones to put your best defender on because so many of them can play so well. And if you put two defenders on those two, well, Crozier's going to kick to the other forward. So, yeah, they've got so much versatility up there. And when you, you know, bring Aaron up from the midfield, that's just a whole other worry that the defence probably don't need that headache at all. So we come to this Sunday afternoon at Adelaide Oval 
The Crows host the Blues. Will the Crows get their second premiership or will the Blues pull off a major surprise? Look, I think um, I think the Blues will absolutely take it to the Crows. Um, I think um, perhaps they may be a little bit tired after last week's efforts because I thought the Blues really stood up and played some solid football. And sometimes you, you can peak a little bit early and play your grand final a little bit early. So I hope they haven't. I hope they come with the same game to the Crows. Um, but, you know, if you look at that Crows team, the majority of them played through winter in the VFL under the Northern Thunder banner and they played last season together. They haven't had a lot of player turnover. So essentially that three seasons of playing good football together. So I think they're going to be very, very hard to um, to come probably even within four goals of them, to be honest. So, yeah, it's going to be Crows. I look at two things. Uh, I will tip the Crows to win, but two things to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, Carlton's coach, Daniel Harford, had had success in, on the men's side of football in the suburban ranks, coaching numerous premierships at Baldwin and St. Kevin's. So he's used to the grand final experience and preparing sides for that. And on the flip side, when you look at the Crows, this is their second grand final, but the first one they're going into where... Not only their favourites, but there's probably the weight of expectation that they're so red-hot favourites playing in front of their home crowd as opposed to the first grand final where the Lions were the clear favourites and the Crows were the underdogs. So if the Crows have one or two missed shots early and they look a bit shaky, is that a door opening for Carlton? Hmm, it's a good observation. I would then look at the players in the team. So players like Chelsea Randall, Aaron Phillips, um, Jenna McCormick, they're very mature and experienced athletes. And, um, you know, and Aaron and Jen have got a lot of experience playing other sports at a high level. So I think that kind of pressure they would be able to just stand up to pretty easily. And the young ones in the team, um, you know, the likes of Noffy and even Sarah Allen, I think for their age, they're quite mature players. So I think that that home ground pressure and all that, I think last week they got it there, they enjoyed their football. And um, I just think they've got enough experience and mature heads around that they will, they'll be able to get through and I don't think they'll let the, um, the, the emotion of the day get to them. Well, Kiwi, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to hearing from you next week as we review the grand final and see how you finished off in your tips for the year. You're most welcome. It's been a blast. Well, that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. We would like you to visit us on social media because we hope by this weekend or just after to be launching our new logo. You can find us at twitter.com forward slash WARF radio. So think of the initials of Women's Australian Rules Football. That's twitter.com forward slash WARF radio or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WARF Radio. This program is available as a podcast from Thursday mornings by going to SoundCloud, iTunes or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Or, of course, tune in next Wednesday night on RSN Carnival from 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.